Welcome to the Gen Xer Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Vargas. This is a podcast that discusses what's going on in the world through the eyes of a Gen Xer. Now remember, this podcast doesn't express the view for all Gen Xers, just this particular one. This season, we are discussing some of the biggest conspiracy theories through the eyes of a Gen Xer that had views of them growing up and can't fathom just how accepted they are now. We will start with some simple ones and get into some crazier ones later on. Some episodes will be multi-part, with hopes to not gloss over some of the details, while others will only need one. Welcome back for Season 2. I know we haven't done an episode in a hot minute. Lots of personal stuff happening during the the time since my last episode. Being busy during the holidays and having to work retail. Caught COVID, which wasn't too bad. Managed to avoid it for nearly two years, but got the weakest version of it. Which, in the grand scheme of things, is pretty fucking great. On a personal note, I was going through some mental health issues I think I managed to make some progress, and I have some great days, and then there are some really dark ones. A close friend of mine lost her brother, and it kind of made me think about losing my brother last year. It's it's been nearly a year since his passing, but it seemed like some of the progress I made was wiped away. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't blame her for anything. It just, you know, brought up some feelings that I realized I hadn't dealt with yet. But in the end, I I knew I had to focus on something. Doing a second season of the show was always in the cards. It just took me a while to figure out what the fuck I was going to spend my time on. And I thought, like, you know, more of the same, but that immediately didn't work. And then I thought more personal stories and relating them to current day, and that didn't quite feel right. Then I started thinking about conspiracy theories. If you've been listening to the show, you know I'm a huge fan of conspiracy theories. Not that I believe them, but I just love listening to them, watching them on YouTube. But since the dawning of social media, conspiracy theories have flourished. Talking points without individual thought was running rampant. Seeing people doing experiments on flat earth, repeatedly failing on YouTube, and they say their equipment was faulty and then just simply move on. For me, I'm not a scientist much like all of those people claiming that they've done their research. And how this works, how these things are supposed to work, is you create a hypothesis. And then you conduct an experiment to either prove or disprove your hypothesis. Not to find one that simply proves your hypothesis, because that's called confirmation bias. Now, I don't consider myself an intellect either. I know some people will claim I think I do, but I don't. As a Gen Xer, we have a negative outlook on life. Some conspiracy theories don't mean anything to me. They don't make any fucking sense. Now, if a tragedy happens at a school and kids are killed, I look for what happened. How can we prevent this from happening again? I don't look for crisis actors or false flag operations, willingly believe that COVID was a Chinese or liberal plot for population control. Things like flat earth doesn't make sense or hollow earth or moon or what they 
what that we live in some type of live inside the earth. Not to mention that no one can prove anything one way or another, which is the benefit of saying you believe in a conspiracy theory. I know something you don't and neither can prove it. But to me, what is the virtue of a flat, hollow, or projection earth? As a normal human being living on this rock, how does my life change if any of those beliefs are true? Will it make me rich? No. Will it, will it allow me to pay my rent, gas my car, or feed my family easier? No. One bigger point, no one can explain to me why is everyone lying about the round earth? Seriously, what benefit does the world government, NASA, or the elites get by making people believe in a round versus a flat earth? Some psychologists claim that a conspiracy theory gains traction due to a person's inability to believe random acts happen. People can't fathom that those 19 terrorists killed nearly 3,000 people on September 11, 2001. Paranoia in regards to mass shootings. Instead of dealing with issues of get guns getting into the wrong people's hands or mental health, we offer thoughts and prayers. Or to a deadlier degree, look for contradictory evidence. Rally like-minded people into believing that liberals are going to use this to get your guns. Conspiracy theories aren't anything new. They've been around since forever. It's just now with the internet, people have more access to these through social media and YouTube. Podcasts by people like Alex Jones, Steve Bannon, Ben Shapiro, or even Joe Rogan can push conspiracy-laced ideas onto the public, claiming that they're quote-unquote asking questions. So this season, I'm going to focus on more cons common conspiracy theories that some will find humorous. As we move further into the season, we'll get into some of the darker theories that have destroyed lives or even got people killed. This week, we will start with the Conspiracy Theory 101. Whether you believe in a conspiracy or not, you have definitely heard about the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And this is where we start. JFK assassination, intro into conspiracy theory. Growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, you were always taught that President John Fitzgerald Kennedy was assassinated by a lone gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald, on November 22, 1963. This is if your history class ever got to the 60s. I know in high school, we barely got into Reconstruction by the end of the school year. But that's what you were taught as a kid. Your parents were taught as kids, and many of them lived through it. But if you had a suspicion about the Warren Report or knew, knew it was something more, no one ever really said it out loud. No one would say who did it. But the answers always varied. It was either the mob, Lyndon Johnson, the Cubans, the CIA, or even the Soviets. Some weirder ones got into the Illuminati, the military-industrial complex, or that Kennedy was about to expose an alien Washington joint venture. Yeah, that last one is a bit weird, and like the other ones aren't. But my first exposure to conspiracy theories regarding JFK was at the ripe old age of eight. The 80s had, some, had just relatively begun. People were focusing on the concept that 2000 was just around the corner. 
Ronald Reagan had just taken office and people were believing the rapture was coming soon. That is, the Christian community was believing that the rapture was coming soon. And when I mean soon, I mean like right now. But stick with me. This is all a setup on how I learned my first conspiracy theory. Around the dawn of the 80s, there had been a resurgence in the predictions of Nostradamus. He was a 16th century French astrologer who wrote a book of quatrains predicting the future. The problem with his book is that these quatrains were twisted limericks that spoke about our possible future. Why didn't he just come out and say it? Well, because if he did, he would have been killed as a heretic or something. It's convenient, am I right? But at the time, the man who saw tomorrow had come out on video, and many people would rent it. Now, it starred Orson Welles, who narrated the documentary about his past and his predictions for the present and future. Now, if you look over the film today, you can tell none of it was right. However, believers would change the future events and say he was right, like he predicted the 9-11 attacks and such. Personally, if you wanted to predict the future, you shouldn't have to twist yourself into a pretzel to prove it. Anyway, as I was watching this movie with some family, it came to the point of the Kennedy assassination. Now, let's keep in mind that the New World, the Americas, weren't even a hundred years old after being discovered. Yet all profit seekers claim that the United States features large in it. The formation of the United States was over 210 years away after his death in 1566. But in any case, it briefly touched on the grassy knoll conspiracy theory, somehow tra tracing out an image of a second shooter that killed Kennedy, describing him as a young king. Now, now when you hear it, it could apply to anything. Here's the quatrain. The ancient task will be completed. From on high, evil will fall on the great man. A dead innocent will be accused of the deed. The guilty on will remain in the mist. Spooky, right? Now, many people say that, that this is hardcore evidence that Nostradamus predicted the murder of JFK. While others, like myself, say that you could possibly trace this throughout European history and can place it anywhere. Now, that was my first exposure to a conspiracy theory. However, being eight years old, it didn't stick with me long. But then again, in 1991, when I was at the age of 17, 18, I saw a long, drawn-out version of the conspiracy theory in, form, in the form of Oliver Stone's JFK. Now, at the time, I had no idea it was a conspiracy theory. Neither did any of my friends. At the time, Oliver Stone was a respected filmmaker, he had done Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July, took a lot of heat from the establishment because he was an outspoken critic of Vietnam, and it wasn't the Putin-loving conspiracy theory nut he is today. Now later on, I started to learn that his version of events was distorted by the conspiracy theory angle. Snippets, redactions, and slight omissions that would have clearly debunked his own theory. Now, you can see, read, and listen to thousands of conspiracy theories about the Kennedy assassination. But in the end, they settle on three different areas. Who killed JFK? How Oswald couldn't have been the one to fire those shots? And a majority stick to why he was killed. Now, who and why are nearly always linked together? The CIA killed him because of what happened to the former head of the CIA that Kennedy fired. Or, the CIA killed him because Kennedy had no intention of getting into Vietnam. 
which is the same reason that LBJ would have killed him. Now, if you listen to many of these theories, you'll discover that insert suspect here had him killed because he didn't want to get into Vietnam. The only one that separates itself from the previous theory is the mob. The mob had him killed not for something JFK did himself, but for something someone else did. And like in those movies where the baddie wants the hero to do something, but they hold their kid hostage or murder their kid to show them they mean business. Now, two theories say that the mob killed JFK to keep either Robert Kennedy, John's brother, and the U.S. Attorney General from going after the mob, which he had been doing. Or, as punishment to Joseph Kennedy, John's father, for convincing them to back JFK and their reward was congressional hearings conducted by Bobby. Now, you're probably wondering, why didn't they just go after Bobby directly? Well, they couldn't, you see. If they hit Bobby like that, JFK would have come after them with the full force of the federal government. If they killed JFK, it would show them that no one, even the president, could hurt them. And on a weird level, that, you know, makes some sort of sense. But then you throw in that many in the federal government were bought off by the mob. They would never turn them over to the turnover on them. So there you have it. Had to be them. And in 2021, Oliver Stone made a follow-up to his Oscar-nominated film JFK called JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass, which debuted on Showtime. Quote, As the new documentary opens, Stone paces down Dealey Plaza in Dallas, where President Kennedy was killed, the same place where QAnon crazies gathered recently to await the miraculous resurrection of JFK Jr. and the divine re-inauguration of Trump, Rolling Stone magazine described. The The director promises his audience that he is about to solve the murder mystery to piece together what really happened that day and discovered the reasons why. Brace yourself. He doesn't. Now, it was a rehashed version of his movie with a bit more theories thrown in. The bigger issue with this documentary and any dealing with this subject is there's no payoff. They give you a lot of questions, but never any solid evidence. For every expert, there's always someone to counter it. One of the main issues with this documentary is that he sorts of pins the blame on Alan Dulles, who was part of the Warren report on the assassination. Now, this isn't to say that he was a good guy, not by a long shot. However, it was, a, it was the botched handling of the Bay of Pigs invasion that got him fired as director of the CIA. There is one thing that Stone blames Dulles for. A failed coup to assassinate then-President Charles de Gaulle. The big problem with that is that it never happened. So how did Stone come up with that tale? Well, it goes way back. A few days after the Bad Pigs debacle, a Russian-backed newspaper in Italy published a KGB-backed story about the CIA also trying to kill Charles de Gaulle. The story then was published in Moscow, which then made its way to France and spread around the world like wildfire. Six years later, the same Italian communist newspaper helped fuel a new conspiracy theory that features largely in Stone's movie. Rolling Stone's magazine described it like this. Quote, On March 1st, 1967, the New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison arrested Clay Shaw, the director of the city's International Trademark, 
and a somewhat closeted gay man and charged him with a central role in a conspiracy to assassinate Kennedy. The DA told reporters that what happened in Dallas had been a homosexual thrill kill. Three days later, Passacera named Shaw as a conduit for CIA funds for espionage and dirty tricks in Rome. The story crafted by the KGB ricocheted around the world, landing in New York on the front page of the New Left Weekly, the National Guardian, on March 28th. Garrison seized upon it. He fed the falsehood to a friendly newspaper reported in New Orleans, and it landed on page one. He told the world that Shaw was a longtime CIA operative. He wasn't, although had been a casual part-time contact on questions of commerce, one among some 150,000 Americans who volunteered information to the Cold War CIA. The prosecutor then doubled down. He proclaimed that the CIA had plotted to kill Kennedy and then covered up the conspiracy, that Oswald had been under its control, and that the agency was indefinitely more powerful than the Gestapo, and that it had masterminded a coup d'etat in America in the name of anti-communism. End quote. Garrison put Shaw on trial for the murder in 1969. He didn't prove any evidence trying, tying the CIA to Kennedy's assassination and had, witnessed that, and had witnesses that were of questionable character. It only took 54 minutes to find Shaw not guilty. This didn't stop Garrison from writing a book. On the trail of the assassins, one man's quest to solve the murder of President Kennedy which eventually became Stone's basis for his film. At least that's according to William Schapp and Ellen Ray, who published the book for Sheridan Square Press in 1988. Shortly before its publication, as Schapp later recounted, quote, At a film festival in Havana, we ran into Oliver Stone, and Helen said to him, Hey, have I got a property for you? Because we knew he was an assassination freak. We gave him an advanced copy of the book. Of course, Oliver Stone would wouldn't admit to that, any of this. End quote. The biggest conjecture found in these theories is the role of Lee Harvey Oswald. There are many videos online that claim Oswald was a rather poor shot. There are, as there are people saying, you don't have to be a Jason Bourne to make that shot. They like to use the, the uh, quote-unquote poor shot moniker, when describing Oswald's marksmanship in the Marines. He, he twice scored the rank of sharpshooter, and on his final test, he scored marksman. They pulled the poor shot reference from Colonel Allison Folsom, who interpreted the results to the Warren Commission. Quote, The Marine Corps considers that any responsible application, or re- I'm sorry, reasonable application, of the instructions given to Marines should permit them to become qualified as a marksman, Folsom explained. To become qualified as a sharpshooter, the Marine Corps is of the opinion that most Marines, with a reasonable amount of adaptability to weapons firing, can become so qualified. Coincidentally, a low marksman's qualification indicates a rather poor shot, and a sharpshooter qualification indicates a a fairly good shot. Not that much of a distinction. Many conspiracy theories pull the poor shot from the statement, speak, uh, which is speaking in generalities, using the words before it and would negate their, using the words before it would only negate their total point. 
He did agree with the questioner that Oswald, quote, was not a particularly outstanding shot, end quote. Now, you're asking yourself, do you believe in any of the conspiracy theories? I would say, I wouldn't say I believe in anything, but the only one I could see being true has nothing to do with the Illuminati, the mob, LBJ, or even the military-industrial complex. I could see Kennedy being a victim of friendly fire. Howard Donahue, while investigating the shooting, discovered that Kennedy was not the victim of, a, of the three bullets from Oswald's gut. He was a victim of one from Oswald and the second from a Secret Service automatic weapon fired accidentally. Now, there's this documentary, JFK, The Smoking Gun, that contends that Kennedy was fatally shot by a Secret Service agent from a follow-up car. And it goes like this. The first shot misses and gets people to look around. The second shot hits Kennedy in the neck, which people called the magic bullet. But uh, that's been since been debunked. A Secret Service agent brings up his weapon, seeing what happened, lost his footing when the driver of the car hit the gas, causing him to fall back, thus accidentally firing his weapon, being the fatal shot that exploded Kennedy's head. Of course... It proceeds to go through the cover-up and the conspiracy behind that. And that would be the only one that actually makes sense. This theory ties all of the other, all the others together so neatly. It has government intrigue, and no one wants to be known that guys in charge of the president's protection actually killed him, especially after a late night of drinking and partying, proves Oswald didn't make all those shots, especially since two people claiming of being near a ricochet. But it doesn't make it sexy. Just like 19 guys took down the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. The flat earthers are just wrong. Crazy people just shoot up schools. Believing in the JFK assassination is as innocuous as a conspiracy theorist can get. They don't hurt people. They just think they know something more than anyone else. Although, there are those that don't believe he was killed at all. In fact, he's alive now with his son, JFK Jr., and was going to reinstate, be reinstated as vice president to Donald Trump. There were quite a few people in Dealey Plaza last year waiting for him to appear. Now, let's keep in mind, JFK would have to be over 100 years old, and we'll deal with the QAnon people later in the series. But people are probably saying right now, but you overlooked this and that. Well, so did you. All your quote-unquote evidence is conjecture. There is no actual proof. Even if there was, you would not believe it because of your confirmation bias. However, I'm not as a, I'm not as a closed-minded individual. Show me some definitive proof and I'll believe you. The major problem is you don't have any. Like grifters, they can't prove anything one way or another. If they did, where would their fans go? Where would all their monetary needs come from? And most importantly, where would their celebrity status go? But then again, I'm just asking questions.
Thanks for tuning in. This show is ad-free, and I'd like to keep it that way. And I can only do that with your support. If you would like to donate to make this podcast and my blog self-sustaining, you can go to thegenxerpod.com and click on that donate button. And if you can't help us out monetarily, you can share it and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or Stitcher, basically wherever you can. This will give us bigger exposure. All of this helps. Your reviews allow more people to find the show. And you can also check out all the previous season's episodes. And if you would like to read my personal musings on my blog, feel free to. Just go to thegenxerpod.com. You can also stalk me on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at thegen underscore xer or email the show at themailbag at thegenxerpod.com. So that is it for me this week. So until next time, I'm Stephen Vargas. And between the battle of the boomers and millennials, there are the Gen Xers. <laughs>